We are kicking off a brand new series this morning, and I want to start out this way. Um, It'll come up on the screen. Our nation and our neighborhoods need a person who is willing to do what others only dream. We get upset, right? And we we think about where our nation is, where uh, our neighborhood, our communities, our cities are. And yet, it's hard for us to move into that place where we actually do something about it. The book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament covers 115 years of Israel's history as they transition from a nation led by God to a nation ruled by a king. And much like the beginning of our own nation, this transition was marked by turmoil and bloodshed. But mostly it was marked by sin. The Israelites during this time period, they worshipped idols and the false gods of those nations around them. They practiced child sacrifice. They had lost their national identity and instead took pride in their infidelity, both religious and relational. Even their priests engaged in sexual immorality and extortion. But the pinnacle of their sin really was the moment when they demanded that God give them a king like the nations around them. No longer would Israel be one nation under God. Instead, they would be just another nation under the thumb of a king. And so they chose to give their sons to the king's army, to give their daughters to the king's amorous, and to give their money to the king's arrogance. And I think that we can see some of those similarities in our own nation today. This nation was founded under God was endowed by its creator with certain unalienable rights and with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Like Israel before us, we often choose sin instead of the Savior. Our religious leaders are engaged in sexual immorality and extortion. We sacrifice our children to the false gods of convenience and selfishness. We have lost our national identity and taken pride in our infidelity. And instead of being led by God, this nation, the God this nation was formed under, we allow ourselves to be ruled by political parties who chase fantasies. And so the Israel of 1 Samuel is the America of today. And just like the hope that existed for that nation, there is hope for us. But that hope is not found in those who now rule over us, but in the one who rules over all. In this brand new series, we're going to find hope and healing for ourselves and our nation as we see how God worked in the lives of some unlikely individuals to bring about personal and then national reform. One of the things that I find fascinating about God is the way that he thinks and the way that he works. Now, that should be normal, right? I mean, we're not supposed to understand how God thinks and works, because if we could, right, he wouldn't be that impressive of a God. And, and so it's natural for us to do that. But I look at how God works in our lives. Sometimes I go, man, I wouldn't have thought about that. I, I wouldn't have done that. God is often at work in situations that I would avoid. God often brings good out of challenges that I would give up on. And he often uses people that I would pass over. And if I'm honest with you this morning, I'd throw myself in that category. 
I, I often go, God, I don't understand why, are you, why you are using me in, in this way to pastor this church. Because God knows I'm a messed up person just like everybody else. But that's the thing about God. He sees what we can't. He, he knows what we don't. He succeeds where we fail. He, he does what He wants. And, and most importantly for you and I, He uses those He chooses. And we don't have to understand it. We just have to be willing to accept it. We just have to be willing to, to follow along. Think about some of the people that God has used throughout history. Some of the people who accomplished some incredible things for God were people that, that most of us would have probably just passed over when we were trying to decide who God should use. God used a, a stutterer. Somebody who had difficulty communicating. He used a prostitute. He used a terrorist, a carpenter, and a murderer. Today, God continues to use alcoholics and thieves and adulterers and, and, and sinners to accomplish His plans for the world. And the truth is that He may use you next. God uses whoever He chooses, and that means no matter what you've done, you're not excluded from His plan. And what this and every nation and every neighborhood needs is just someone willing to do what others only dream. So we're going to start today by looking at a, a woman named Hannah, and, and what we're going to see in, in her story, at least the beginning part of her story in 1 Samuel, is this truth, that every plan of God starts with a person. Every plan of God starts with a person. And when we look at the Bible, we often think of like large groups of of people, right? We think of the world, we think of the nation of Israel, but everything that God did in the Bible started with just one person. In this case, it's Hannah. And Hannah had a dream. Hannah wanted to be a mom. Her, her husband, at, at the time, uh, her husband loved her very much, but he had another wife. And like, we don't do that, right? That's not right. God didn't think that was right either, but he allowed the Israelites to do it because that was part of the culture back then. And so he had another wife and she had seven children. So Hannah is barren and Elkanah's other wife has seven kids. And, and, and that's a struggle in that relationship. Once a year, Elkanah would take his entire family to the city of Shiloh where God's tabernacle was located. And he went there to offer sacrifices like God required. But like many even today, the worship of God in that place didn't always change their walk. So they showed up to Shiloh, they offered the sacrifices, and then they went home and they kind of continued doing the same things that they had done before. They had to keep making sacrifices because they wouldn't stop committing the sin that required them to make those sacrifices. So every year they went to sacrifice. Elkanah's other wife would torment Hannah because she was barren. Now, when I was a kid, uh, around the dinner table, this uh, happened, at least in my mind, it happened all the time. Probably didn't happen all the time. Uh, but I remember uh, specifically sitting at the table and my sister, who was about five years older than me, would eat her food and she'd get it half chewed up and then she'd like 
watch my mom. And she'd put her hand up. Uh, you can't hear. I should do it this way. She'd put her hand up, and then she'd stick her tongue out at me. So I could see, you know, the half-chewed food in her mouth. And the problem was that she was smart and I was dumb. Because she would hide that from my parents, uh, and I didn't. I just stuck my tongue right back out at her every single time my mom saw me, and then I got in trouble uh, because I was responding to my sister's uh, actions. And they never believed that my perfect sister uh, would do anything like that. I didn't handle things around the dinner table quite as well as Hannah did. Because when Hannah was, was tormented by Elkanah's other wife, she didn't respond to her. She responded in prayer. So we're going to look at the story, 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. This is a little longer stretch of scripture than I typically read on Sunday, but, but I think it's important for us to get all this in, okay? So if you have a Bible app on your phone or your tablet or whatever, you want to follow along on the screen, we'll be in 1 Samuel 1, beginning in verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking, so they're, they're in Shiloh, right? And they've, they've been sacrificing. Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made this vow. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Now Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, and so Eli thought he was drunk. she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Well, Hannah responded, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel give you what you ask. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now, I don't know how you handle difficult situations in your life, but I often find myself praying only after I've reacted to the situation. And, and usually, I've reacted to that situation negatively. Now, I'm sure none of you do that, but that's just me, right? Right? And so some challenge or some frustration comes in my life and immediately I want to respond to that thing. And, and I want to figure out what do I have to do to put the pieces back together and to, to get where I need to be. And it's only after I've failed at that that I stop to actually pray and, and go, God, what, what would you have me do in this situation? And how can I get out of this? That's not what Hannah did. When faced with this bully, she went to God in prayer. And honestly, I think she was in such pain. I don't even think she noticed Eli sitting by the door at the house of God. I think he startled her when he spoke up. And I think she probably would not have prayed the way she did 
if she knew Eli was there. Regardless of of the circumstances of that moment, what comes next helps us see a little bit about how God works. See, Hannah approached God in prayer, and because of that, Hannah found herself in exactly the right spot to have her prayer answered. Because prayer puts you in the right place for God's plan. Prayer puts you in the right place for God's plan. And, And so often when we don't take the time to pray about things that are going on, we find ourselves getting off of that plan and we cause ourselves more harm than God would have us. Maybe you've heard it said that prayer doesn't change God's mind, it just changes you. And that's true. Prayer opens us up to the possibilities that only God is aware of. And if Hannah hadn't cried out to God in prayer, she wouldn't have been in the right place to be a part of this great plan that God is going to unfold. Does prayer always put you in the right geographical place? No, it doesn't. But it does put you in the right spiritual place. In the summer of 94, I think it was, I remember it was a a beautiful summer day. I was driving my uh, F100 pickup down the road uh, for you uh, car guys. I had three on the tree. It was a pretty fun uh, ride. was driving down the road, and I was building houses at the time for a guy in Augusta, and I loved my job. I mean, there was a few days like today when I didn't like it, but most of the time, I loved my job. I loved building things. I I loved going to a job site and working, and at the end of the day, seeing what I had accomplished. And so I remember I was driving down uh, Ohio. I was headed south on Ohio in Augusta. And I had the window rolled down and I had some 80s music blaring on the radio because that's the best music ever. Anyway, so I'm listening to the radio and I I remember specifically praying to God and going, God, if, if this is not what you want me to do with my life, you had better show me quick because this is what I want to do until I die. I I enjoyed it that much. I loved it. And and I said, God, you've got to get in the way. You've got to interrupt what I'm doing here somehow, or I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life. So in the summer of 95, Andrea and, and I and our one child at the time, Trevor, moved to Idaho so I could go to Bible college. And a year later, we moved from Idaho back to Kansas to a little tiny town called Mulberry, right on the Kansas-Missouri border, and I worked in a little small church there. I think they had about 20 or 30 people. Mulberry is a town where you wouldn't get to unless you were going there. It's like on the way to no place, okay? Uh, And so I worked in this little town. I went to Ozark Christian College for a year, but all of that happened because that same time period... My mother-in-law used to walk or hang out with the lady whose husband preached at Leon Christian Church, and he had passed away. And so his wife had told my mother-in-law, your son-in-law should apply for this job. And so I did. And a year later, I think it was 97, I got the job at Leon Christian Church and started preaching. Ten years later, we come to El Dorado and plant real life. See how God works things out we didn't even know. And, and, and you probably are here this morning because somebody at some point in your life prayed that you would be a part of something that God was doing. 
Prayer is not a magic wand that makes everything go perfectly. Often, prayer is followed by lots of problems. Because when we get ourselves in a part of God's plan, there, there are those out there, forces out there who don't like that. And so prayer is often followed by problems. And the greater the move of God, the greater the challenge will be to achieve it. And the reason for that is this, that whenever God is about to act, Satan will attack. Whenever God's about to act, Satan is going to attack. He's going to get involved. He wants to mess things up. And so oftentimes we think, boy, if I come to church and I I give my life to God, and there's even like preachers who will say this, man, all you got to do is just come to church, give a little money, give your life to Jesus, and God will make everything in your life better. That might be true if there weren't other forces at at work. But every time that God is about to do something in your life, Satan is going to attack that. Because he doesn't want you to build that trust. He doesn't want you to see, he doesn't want to see you doing what God would have you do. We see that in Hannah's story. Her first interaction with Eli is negative. He accuses her of being drunk. Now, now Eli was the priest of God, okay? He, he was God's man, God's day, God's time there. But Eli, if you read 1 Samuel, had stopped hearing from God a long time ago. He was going through the motions of his ministry, but it really was over. And I think in this moment, Hannah has her first test, this first attack. And I wonder, as I was reading the story, I was like, how would I feel? If I was pouring my heart out to God and and a spiritual advisor, spiritual mentor, pastor, somebody there just said, um, quit, are you drunk? You know, just quit being stupid. How would I feel if I was praying to God and and somebody said that? I'm like, like, just stop that. Like your prayer doesn't matter. Just go on. Satan uses all kinds of people to try and keep you from your purpose. And sometimes he can even use godly people in our lives to say things that that will distract us or or sidetrack us. we got to stay on God's plan. Because just like Satan uses people, so does God. And the next words out of Eli's mouth end up being the words that thankfully Hannah holds on to. Eli says this to her, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And then look at what happens in the very next verse. Then she went her way. She ate something because she had gotten up from the dinner table. She hadn't eaten. She went away and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. She wasn't upset anymore. Do you know why? It's because Hannah now had hope. She didn't know that Eli didn't hear from God any longer. And really, if you read the next few chapters of 1 Samuel, you'll see that that Eli is a pretty poor excuse for a spiritual leader. In fact, I I think that that his statement, go in peace and may God grant you what you've asked, I I really think that was just a generic blessing. And I can say that because I'm a, a preacher. What else do you say when somebody comes to you and says, this is what I'm praying for? We all say the same thing. We say, okay, I hope God answers your prayer. That's really what he was saying. He was saying, look, just, just go and, and may God answer your prayer. I mean, it's just just generic thing that he probably said to every single person who came to the, 
to the temple, the tabernacle, and was praying. But Eli's words sparked something in Hannah. It sparked hope. And, and, and if you've ever struggled to have children, I know several families here and, and, and several other friends of mine have struggled in the child category. If you've struggled to have children or have yet to have children, but you want them, you know the desperation with which Hannah prayed. So Eli's response sparked something in Hannah's resolve. Because sometimes hope isn't all you may have. It's all you may need. And in that moment, Hannah heard what she needed to hear, and she held on to that. And I think that's just like God. He uses a nasty woman with a cold heart. That's Elkanah's other wife, right? He uses a washed up priest and a barren woman to play key parts in his glorious plan and none of them at the moment knew what was going on. I wonder this morning if there's something that you're hoping for. Something that seems impossible to you. Maybe something that you've shared with somebody else and, and they've said, ah, it'll never happen. Can't be done. Something you think that it's too far out of reach. When I moved to El Dorado 12 years ago to plant real life, I, I thought that within three to five years probably, a three to five year plan, we'd be a church of a couple hundred people. We'd have our own building and we'd be growing and have a thriving ministry. Well, that didn't quite happen. God's taken me on a long journey over the last 11 years and and, and there were times, several times, many times, where I just wanted to give up and go do something else. Times that I thought God was just, was just done with me and, and maybe my dream was dead. But I got to tell you, I think God is bringing that back to life. And once again, I'm beginning to hope. To hope for greater kingdom impact. To hope for more people finding real life in Jesus. I'm beginning to hope that, that one day we'll be singing and praising God in a building that was built by God and not by the city. But I've got to tell you that with that hope, with the act of God, there is attacks from Satan. He goes after people because he knows people are God's plan. And so I'm praying harder than, than I ever have before. That, that God will defeat Satan in our lives. That he will give us this city. That God will draw the hearts of men to Jesus and fill this building. I'm praying for greater influence and investment in kingdom things. And I'm praying for you. Because I believe. That when our hope is in God, it is never wasted. Hannah learned that firsthand. Because as you read the next rest of the story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, here's what you find out. That the very next year, Hannah gives birth to a son. And she names him Samuel. When Samuel is three years old, she takes him to Eli at the tabernacle. And she leaves him there to be raised by the priest to be a servant of God. His entire life. And look what happens. 
If you skip down to chapter 3, verse 1, you read this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. When Samuel came to live at the tabernacle, the word of God was rare, and there weren't very many visions. Eli was not a good priest, and he didn't hear from God. But at the end of chapter 3, verse 21, we read this. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So sandwiched between God's word being rare and God's word being frequent, we find this boy Samuel. And he's doing three things that are really important. He's ministering before the Lord. He's involved in what God is doing and working on the lives of people. He hears from God. So he's listening to God. He's putting himself in a place through prayer where he can hear what God says. And then he obeys the word of God by sharing it with others even when it's difficult. Here's the truth for your life and mine. Our obedience brings God's presence. When we obey God in our lives, we get to be present with God. God no longer used the priest Eli and the other priests because they had stopped obeying him. But Samuel heard and obeyed even when it was difficult. Samuel did what others didn't. And so what about you? The reality is that that God may be choosing you next. Because God may be choosing us next. And since God's plan always begins with a person, maybe you're that person. Are you ready to do what others only dream? Maybe this is just your very first time here at Real Life and you're just trying to figure this out. I think God has a plan for you. Just like He has a plan for the rest of us. And you may be the person that He chooses to do something incredible. So consider this. What you're doing in your life right now could either be hindering God's plan or helping it. The way that we live our lives day in and day out right now could be hindering God's plan or helping it. If you want to know which, you just got to ask yourself one question. Am I being obedient? Am I being obedient? If you're being obedient, then you're helping God's plan. If you're seeking God's presence, though you may have to change how you proceed. Hannah stopped her routine to cry out to God in prayer. And God put her in the right place to hear the words of Eli that sparked hope within her soul. She believed that God could answer her prayer even in the face of opposition. And the result was her son Samuel, whose obedience to God's word would bring a nation back from the brink of destruction. So I don't know who it'll be. I don't know who it'll be that God will choose next. But it could be you who God chooses to change the story of countless others that you don't even know. 
In 1 Samuel 1, God uses a barren woman and a boy to change the course of a nation. And I think that's what we need right now. Change. The nation of Israel may not have repented without Samuel. And Samuel probably wouldn't have been born without Hannah. And Hannah might not have prayed to God without being provoked to tears. What is God using in your life right now? To drive you to pray. To drive you to seek Him. Maybe you're the person who will turn a people back to God. God uses who He chooses. I wonder if He's chosen you. Let's pray. God, I thank You for using us. I thank You for being a God that it uses broken people. I thank you for, for giving us what we need to accomplish all that you've called us to. And God, you know I'm, I'm praying for this church and I'm praying for us as a people. That you would, that you would raise us up. That you would help us to to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like Him every day. And God, for that to happen, you've got to choose a person. And you're going to choose lots of individuals. And God, I pray that we would just be open to hearing you and then to to following, to obeying you. So that God, every person in this city, every person in this county, in this state, in this nation would have the opportunity to hear about the God who loves them so much. Would you help us, Father, as we worship you? In Jesus' name, amen.